You're listening to Parents You've Got This, the expert guide to parenthood. The complete guide to pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Parents You've Got This and proudly supported by Mastella. Mastella is a natural origin skincare for babies and children, recommended by healthcare professionals. Mastella by Parents Side since 1950. Approximately 30 to 35% of first-time mothers will give birth via caesarean. So it's kind of strange that a lot of antenatal birth education just skips over the topic. Well, we're diving in deep tonight and we're chatting with our obstetrician expert, Dr. Peter Jesevic, all about caesarean and the caesarean process. Dr. Peter Jesevic is an obstetrician and gynaecologist with more than 27 years of expertise. He has delivered more than 6,500 babies and he works in both public and private practice. He is the, an Australian pioneer of the maternal assisted caesarean and he joins us today talking all about caesareans and the caesarean process. Thank you, Pete, for being here with us. My pleasure. Can you tell us what a caesarean is, please? So a caesarean section is an operative delivery via the abdomen because essentially really there are only two ways to deliver a baby. It either comes out through the birth canal, the vagina, as a normal birth or an assisted birth with forceps or vacuum, or it's a caesarean section where we make an incision into the abdomen an incision into the uterus and then deliver the baby via that route. And so Pete, what's the difference between a planned caesarean and an emergency caesarean? Sure, so a planned caesarean section is a scheduled operation on a set date, a set time. Uh, the woman will be usually well aware of that and the indication, and indications can be wide and varied. Uh, commonly, a woman who's had a caesar previously and is having a repeat operation, a repeat operative delivery. A woman might have a breech baby, a baby that's coming out bottom first rather than head first and choose that a caesarean section, in her opinion, is safer than attempting a vaginal birth. A woman might have twins. Uh, there might be a situation where the woman's placenta is sitting over the cervix, what we call a previa. Uh, much like a cork in a bottle, you can't get the wine out if the cork's in, or you can't get a baby out if the placenta's in the way. So there would be an indication for elective surgery. And then there are, of course, the unplanned, unscheduled emergency deliveries. And these would be deliveries where, uh, usually intrapartum, so in labour, for where a woman is having an issue with her birth where it's not safe to continue with a vaginal attempt. Uh, we may, as the person looking after you, realise very quickly the baby's too big to fit. Uh, it might be a situation where the baby's in a very abnormal position in the way it's facing and that can't be corrected with body position, with medication, with our help. And a caesarean might be required for that. Uh, some babies don't cope well with labour. When you think about it, the uterus is contracting. It contracts for hours on end, minutes apart, and every time it does that, it reduces the blood pressure and the pulsatility of blood through the placenta, which is that little bit less at that moment going to the baby. Now, a lot of babies will cope very well with those drops in blood pressure transiently, the little drops in the oxygen level transiently, and they'll be absolutely fine in between each contraction and will cope well. But as a percentage of babies won't. And we can pick that up on monitoring. And if we are of the opinion that it is no longer safe for that baby to wait inside, the level of drop in blood pressure oxygen deprivation is such that it would be too risky to continue, we may say to you, look, it's not safe. You're too far to go in the labour. You need a caesarean delivery to deliver the baby to make the, make the baby safe. So what's the process, Pete, if you're having a caesarean? Can you talk us through what you do on that day, whether um, perhaps we talk about an elective caesarean first yeah. and what the process would be if someone was having an elective caesarean? Yeah. I think the most important thing in any part of birth here is birth education and um, empowerment and knowledge and so it would be an informed conversation about risk benefits of having a caesar and then a decision is made by the woman that she wants a caesar 
And once that decision is made, we would plan for that seizure, usually to be done in most situations about 39 weeks in the pregnancy, which is a week before the due date. And the reason for that is that we anticipate most pregnancies will make it to that date, and it allows us to do an elective operation in a mature baby and avoids the situation where a woman goes into labour or her waters break, and, and arguably sometimes in inopportune times, which then necessitates a more immediate delivery and having to call in a, a bunch of people because we need theatre staff, we need nurses, we need uh, theatre techs, we need doctors, anaesthetists, the surgeon, assistant, paediatrician. Uh, so there's a, a bunch of people that might need to come in. And we have this capacity available for emergencies, time of day, night, weekend, etc. But obviously a scheduled operation makes it a lot calmer and a lot easier. On the day in theatre, there'll be some recommendations in how soon you need to be at the hospital prior to the surgery when you last eat and drink. The general rule is six hours for food and then up to two hours for clear fluids like water. Uh, you'll then be admitted by the midwifery team and then put usually into a hospital gown and then you'll just wait till you go to theatre. When you go to theatre, you'll be greeted by the surgeon and the anaesthetist. The anaesthetist will have either already spoken to you about the anaesthetic or discuss it. We'll have a drip placed. And once the drip's placed, you'll be taken into theatre. And then what we would do is usually, with few exceptions, do a spinal anaesthetic. And the difference between a spinal and epidural is not so much location. They're both a needle into the same part of your lower back. It's just that with a spinal, we actually put that little needle right through into the spinal canal so that the injection of anaesthetic agent and the pain relief medication is right into the area where all the nerves are. And so you get an immediate onset of analgesia. Uh, it's a shorter lasting onset, a, a, a lasting um, uh, therapeutic effect. So you know we have to have you delivered and sorted within two or three hours, but of course the surgery is usually very quick. Uh, and then once that's done, you'll be laid down and then we would place a catheter into the bladder because the bladder will be numb and will overfill and we need the bladder out of the way for the surgery. And then we would clean your abdomen gown you and uh, some, I'm sorry, place drapes over you, and then we would invite your partner in and start the surgery. Now, for me, when I'm doing uh, caesarean sections in most modalities, whether it be elective operations, uh, and that can be for breaches, for low-grade previews, for repeat seizures, uh, even for twins, I would always have you also being scrubbed with your hands washed and gowned because I'd like you to be involved in the process, what we call maternally assisted. Uh, and that's something that I do a little bit differently to a lot of my colleagues. With the actual process from that point onwards, if you've got good analgesia, you're, you're feeling comfortable, you're not feeling any of the different tests we do to check that the analgesic block is working, we make a small incision and it's usually the size of a baby's head, about a centimeter or two above your bikini line. And so what that means is it's going to be, dare I say, sorry, above your pubic bone. So it's below the bikini line, but above the pubic bone. So it'll always be out of sight for those of you who'll be on the beach. And then it'll be amazing to think that within literally a minute, two, three minutes tops, we can get a baby out because the entry is quick and it's easy. It's, yeah. And then once the baby's coming out, whether it's a traditional sort of baby out, show you the baby, take the baby to get wrapped up and brought back, or in my case, what we would do is with your scrubbed hands and, and sterile sort of setup, we would actually invite you as the baby's coming out to grab the baby and then bring the baby onto your chest, which is something for me that's really important because you, know, you are, as the mother, in, let's assume this is a nine-month pregnancy, you've done the heavy lifting for nine months, you've carried that little person in your body for nine months, you deserve first cuddle. So to be able to get the baby onto your chest straight away for that immediate bonding, uh, to do a minute's delayed cord clamping so the baby gets a little bit of extra iron, gets its blood pressure up and gets its oxygenation going, is actually really therapeutically important. Uh, and then once that has all happened, uh, I will just clamp the cord and then we 
leave that maybe to you and the pediatrician will be checking make sure everything's okay and that allows us to then close the wound so the uterus has been cut we close it uh, we'll take the placenta out first uh, we'll then close the muscles of the abdomen uh, and then we'll close the skin layer and normally the whole process will take about half an hour in, in, in broad terms uh, once that's done uh, we would have you out to recovery and we would like you to be breastfeeding as soon as possible your partner will be with you the whole time for almost all situations, when a, when a caesarean section goes as well as they do, that's exactly what would happen. The only difference between that and an emergency is that you weren't planning to be there. You've gone from birth suite coming into the um, emergency setting. Uh, we will have consented you for the surgery to the best we can explain the risk benefits. Uh, the surgery will be the same, although we have to remember you've often got a labouring uterus, so there'll be a bit more vascularity to it, or the baby might be a little bit more distressed and we want to make sure it comes out in good condition. But in broad terms, if things are predicted to be okay, we could still look at maternal assisted, still give you a good connected experience, still keep you safe. It's just happening in a more urgent fashion. You mentioned there that you can't eat um, prior to having a cesarean. What if it's an emergency and you have eaten? Yeah, so I always say to women uh, in labour, it's, it's good to keep your caloric energy intake up. But just remember, if a lot goes in, and when you're in the heat of labour, your gastrointestinal system slows down, a lot goes in can often come out. So nausea and vomiting can be a real thing if you overdo it. So that's why sometimes lollies and energy drinks are sometimes better than portions of food, okay? A little bit easier to digest. But in an emergency situation, we have to accept that you may not be fasted and we just have to accept that and we're accepting that because we have to. And also because if you have an epidural in, that will provide you with your pain relief. And if you're having a spinal, you're gonna be awake and there won't be any issues. The reason for fasting is occasionally in a caesarean section, if there is a complication, an issue, a heavy bleed, something's not right, the epidural, the spinal's not working. These are all rare situations. You have to have a general anesthetic, you have to go to sleep. And when you go to sleep and you've got a naturally slowed down stomach, you've got a little bit of natural fluid retention in your body so your airway's a bit swollen, you're at slightly higher intubation risk for the anaesthetist and that comes with high risks for regurgitation and that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. So in an elective situation, in case that happens, we have you fasted. In an emergency situation, we simply hope you won't have the general and we manage it. And so Pete, can you choose to have a caesarean? There's no medical reason why you need one, but you have done all your research and you, or you just decide, I want, I'd rather have a caesarean. Yeah. I use this expression, unless I missed the memo in 2023, I'm pretty sure women have a lot of enduring rights that they're well deserving of. And one of those is consent and ability to make informed decisions and be educated about their own body. And I think if a woman comes to see me and you can see she's done her homework, she's spoken to friends or family, and she has made an informed decision that a caesarean section is her choice for delivery of her baby, and that's how she wants her body dealt with for the birth process, then as long as she understands the risk benefits associated with that decision and we give her informed consent, absolutely within her rights to make that choice. And we're certainly seeing a growing number of women do that. And we spoke to this, as you might well aware, um, not too long ago where we did an Insta Live about caesarean section and I made a very particular point of presenting a couple of cases at the beginning of that talk of women who'd made choices to have caesarean sections and I gave some insight behind those decisions and I think you need to be very cautious when you're passing opinion on women's choices of that nature thinking maybe less through them when in actual fact they're making very informed choices and often with a great deal of philosophy and psychology behind it. And that's for public and private? Uh, I can't speak for all public hospitals, so I dare not, but I would say that in the hospital that I work at, if a patient came to see me as a head of unit and said to me, I want to have a caesarean section, 
as the boss of the team, I would say, yes, you can have that caesarean section. I would like to think collegially that would happen across the board. I can't speak for everyone. So, Pete, you, met, you touched on it before with, you know, we're seeing more and more people opting to have elective caesareans without having a medical reason for it. Do you still see the stigma around caesarean sections or do you think that's something that's also diminishing over time? I think it's diminishing. I think there are stigmas in lots of facets of life nowadays and caesarean section and birth choice and birth process is definitely one of them. Um, I, I think what we all need to remember in this process is that you're carrying a human being in your body and you're trying to get that human being out of your body and you're trying to do that safely for the baby's sake and you're also trying to do it safely for you, not just for the moment, but also down the track. Uh, I mean, there are a body of women out there who have been brutalised by birth trauma, uh, sometimes under the guise of what was deemed to be good care. Uh, and certainly overseas in you know less well-off countries than ours where they don't have access to good care and they only have one choice but to live a vaginally and the trauma that comes with that has been you know, really beyond compare. So there's a multitude of reasons. I, I would like to think that the, the stigma associated between just a choice for what you would call an uncomplicated normal first-time mum, I, I'd like to think that is less common. But dare I say, yes, I hear the mutterings. And so, Pete, what is the recovery time if you have a caesarean? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, we need to accept that it is technically major surgery because we are cutting into the abdomen. Uh, but we're also doing that in, generally speaking, healthy, well women. Uh, and generally speaking, when you operate on healthy, well people, you get healthy, well outcomes. Um, I've seen women who need very little in the way of analgesia, literally, literally jump out of bed the next day when the catheter and everything's out, taking not much in the way of paracetamol or anti-inflammatory and extraordinary mobility very quickly. And then I have women who really do struggle uh, and are having to go home on scripts with narcotics, endone, oxycontin, codone that you might have heard of, and need to be on that for a few weeks. I've never personally seen anyone after a caesarean section who's needed that beyond three weeks. And I, I can't even remember anyone who's come in at the six-week mark who's come in and, and had ongoing issues with pain and mobility restriction and so on. And some of these, dare I say, I use the expression old wives, but um, you know, about when you can drive and when you can lift. In actual fact, there are no hard and fast rules beyond when your body's ready. Generally speaking, you'll realise very quickly as a parent that babies are busy and they keep you busy. And it's amazing how a day can go when you don't get out of your gym jams and you're actually at home all the day. So you won't be driving a lot and going out a lot anyway. Um, we, we can't deny that there is always going to be an operative risk. So a percentage of women, thankfully it's really, generally speaking, 1% or less, can get a localised wound infection. Very rarely would that be severe. Can lose a bit more blood than normal. Um, there's bleeding associated with vaginal births, but obviously with an open wound of a Caesar, more so if you have a placenta previa. Uh, you might have a situation where, because you're having pelvic surgery, there's a risk of clots in your legs, but we have clot prophylaxis in place, so that's quite a rare complication, but it's a risk. And there's also going to be a situation where the bladder sits very inconveniently in front of the uterus, and we have to be very careful entering the abdomen so we don't injure the bladder. And bladders can be injured, and sometimes, you know, for example, if someone's having a repeat surgery for the fourth time and the blood is very, very stuck. And that's why you go and see a specialist obstetrician because we're trained to deal with the complex ones. But the complications really are, generally speaking, very rare. And on the one hand, we would always mention them and you need informed consent. But I also remind you that a vaginal birth's not without its complications. You know, 95% of women get a tear, 5% get a third degree, fourth degree tear, 5% can have a postpartum hemorrhage requiring resuscitative, you know, sort of capacity. 15% will have a vacuum of forceps. So it's not all 
necessarily easy the other way as well. Our job as doctors is to get the balance right. And if you need a seizure, do it the best, safest way possible so you recover well. So Pete, is there a limit to the number of caesareans that a mother can have? I think uh, cost of living is bringing that limit upon us. Uh, but uh, look, there isn't actually a set answer to that. It would be very uncommon nowadays, uh, as we see the demographic of women coming into having babies, you know, delaying the onset of having their babies, ageing population, cost of living pressures, people choosing to have smaller numbers of families. So really, realistically, one, two or three children is going to probably be our average in the Australian statistics at the moment. It's two children a family. But there are still certainly going to be women out there who want to have a larger family, and deservedly so. Um, I have done a sixth caesarean section before, oh, wow. okay? And, uh, and obviously was very careful with the entry into the abdomen because of scar tissue, the bladder, etc. The biggest issue with recurring surgeries is that you have to have the operative risk on the day. So that day there's an infection, bleeding, bladder trauma, blood clot risk, the anaesthetic risk. And then there's going to be the accumulative risk of the bladder being a bit more stuck and also the accumulative small risk that the placenta in a future pregnancy might stick abnormally, what we call percreta, and, and that's not for the faint heart, but if that happens, it's rare, but it's a thing. And if it happens, it can be quite significant in terms of what the risks are for bleeding at that subsequent caesarean section. So I wouldn't be sitting here and saying it's all super easy, but for the vast majority of women, having by necessity or by choice a caesar or two or even three you could be quietly confident that you'll get three safe operations, three safe recoveries. Pelvic floor is okay, vaginal mucosa is okay. The benefits of not pushing a baby through the birth canal, that said, I'm not advocating caesareans for everyone. And so Pete, how long between caesareans do you need? So you've had a caesarean and you want another baby, how long yeah. do you have to wait? We would prefer a year, uh, ideally, so from, from delivery to the next conception. One of the challenges you have if you have a 40-year-old woman who had a caesarean section by necessity or choice, and then she is mothering that second child, but she's got fertility against her in terms of age-related chances of conceiving, the issues associated with the genetics of another pregnancy, um, not wishing to be an older mum, you know, and so she's factoring that into her decision-making. So we would always say, please, no sooner than six months. Uh, but if you do get sooner pregnant quicker, you have to accept that slightly higher risk of that abnormal placentation and having the lower segment of the uterus not as thick as it should be to cope with the demands of a growing baby. So I've seen plenty of women get pregnant in that time frame. It usually goes well, but we would urge you to, to avoid that if you can. Thank you so much, Pete, for joining us today and telling us all about this really important topic. A huge thanks to Mustella for sponsoring this episode. If you want a product that can protect your baby's skin against nappy rash, try Mustella's Vitamin Barrier Cream. Dermatologist and paediatrician tested, it soothes the skin from the first application and offers long-lasting protection that lasts until the next nappy change. Recommended by 98% of Aussie parents. Next week on the podcast, we've got Dr. Peter Jusevic on to talk all about the pros and cons of a caesarean birth versus a vaginal birth. You've been listening to the Expert Guide to Parenthood. Never forget, parents, you've, you've got, got this. this. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, a discussion with your doctor or healthcare professional. Parents You've Got This take no responsibility for any medical decisions made by individuals based on the information provided in this podcast. 
Join a Parents You've Got This masterclass today to be prepared, excited and educated for pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. Visit www.parentsyou'vegotthis.com.au and sign up for a masterclass today.